Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season four, episode seven. Today on the podcast, we have Pastor Mark Clark. Maybe you know him. He's a pastor of, I think, one of the fastest growing churches in Canada. He's an author, speaker. He uh, goes all over the place with um, his amazing ability to connect with an audience. We're going to love talking to him today. I sat down with him actually right at the beginning of March. In person, we were together at a conference right before all things changed in the world. And so you're going to get a view into where we were at and what we were thinking and talking about uh, right before the pandemic um, really changed a lot of things for us in Canada, U.S., and um, Europe. So um, we're going to be talking about digital and church growth and why his church is reaching people. We're going to be talking about how he preaches in spite of or maybe because of and in view of uh, that he has Tourette's syndrome. We're going to be talking about porn and hot topics and why he's just the most unlikely preacher but has been drawing a crowd probably in spite of or maybe because of that. We're going to talk about how he preps and delivers a talk, how he thinks about a target market, all kinds of things for communicators. You're going to love this conversation. It's more of a banter back and forth throughout. I think you're going to enjoy it. So before we get into the conversation, reminder to everybody about the Digital Church Facebook group. Uh, there's a link below, but literally just look for uh, Digital Church, like type in the words Digital Church, Digital Church on Facebook and you're going to find us. We'd love for you to join the group. It's a growing community of, right now we're hundreds, we want to grow to thousands though of uh, leaders and people who are interested in talking about digital in the church. So what are the ways that that affects discipleship and evangelism and church growth and technology and ourselves as human beings? That's what we're talking about. We're growing a great community. I'd love you to join. Thanks so much to our friends at Compassion who, you know, week after week are helping make this podcast even possible. I'm really just so grateful for their partnership in this season of the podcast. And of course, as we partner together on Word Made Digital, they're partnering with churches around the world and are working tirelessly right now to provide support for families and children that are impacted by this pandemic, right? This pandemic, COVID-19, it has so many challenges in areas that have poverty. Um, it's, It's just think about how overwhelming it would be in a place where you don't even have access to proper hygiene, you have low resources and um, not a lot of access to infrastructure. Uh, If you lose your job, if you lose access to food, if you lose access to good health care. So Compassion staff around the world, they're adapting and innovating day by day. They're even connecting to people over things like WhatsApp, uh, trying to reach out to families and different people who they're they're connected to in isolation. They're distributing medical masks. They're sewing and creating food kits and um, hygiene kits. They're working on getting food and resources and water to people. They're making hand sanitizer. So much is going on in these compassion communities. Why? Because they were there before the pandemic. They're there now in the midst of this crisis and they're going to be there afterwards. That's why we want to support compassion and what they're doing with COVID-19. So go to compassion.ca slash COVID today to give a small amount, a big amount. We've all been affected. Would love to help other people around the world who are also affected. Check out the link in the profile. Hey, thanks also to Wycliffe College, of course. They're this evangelical graduate school of theology at the University of Toronto, where you get a degree from the University of Toronto, one of the top universities in the world, and also from Wycliffe College, which is an evangelical approach to theology. So whether you want to take a course or a certificate, or you're doing a master's like I did, or maybe you're even a doctoral program, it's surprisingly affordable. It's in Canadian dollars, just $602 a course for students in Canada. And I mean, compared to a lot of other schools, it's just an amazing price. You can do, of course, lots of stuff online right now. I want you to check it out. Maybe you want to see why I chose the school or see if it's right for you to take a class or to dive into a whole program. WycliffeCollege.ca slash WordMadeDigital is where you can see a little bit more about the school, why I chose it, and more. All right, we're going to dive in with Mark Clark, the senior pastor of Village Church just outside of Vancouver, Canada. And they've got sites not just in Vancouver, though. They've got sites now that they're growing across the country. And he's going to talk a little bit about why that's their strategy in this broadcast. But he wrote a book called The Problem of God, Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to Christianity. It's a popular book. Maybe you've even read it. He does a lot of work with Carrie Newhoff in video courses and teaching. And he's just passionate about training leaders and apologetics. So you're going to love this banter, uh, this back and forth that I do with Mark Clark from the beginning of March 2020. Let's dive in. 
Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 4, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Mark Clark, welcome to Word yes, Made ma'am. Digital. Thank you. I'm so glad to I talk like that to name. you. Thank Word you. Word Made Digital. I like it. Yeah, it's um, it was my master's thesis, and nice. now it's a Love it. now it's a podcast Love it. and a few other things. Yeah. But um, it's my passion and mm-hmm. my the my own particular niche of nerdiness. Right, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so we're on this podcast today. At, you know, we're in the middle of a a conference that we're we're at the same place yeah. for, and so I'd love to to get into in this conversation your some of your technique and approach to communication because you have a really distinct style mm. and I think we'll, we'll meander our way there sure. but I tell us a little bit some people won't have any idea who you are it's a right. more it's a Canadian audience and a global audience so right. tell us who you are what's your context so my context is I um, started a church in Vancouver in 2010 uh, 16 people in my house and um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all and so I started going to church when I was about 19 kind of worked through pretty pretty atheistic agnostic family yeah. um, I have a uh, the the opening story I, I talk about in uh, in my book um, the problem of God is the story where my uh, my dad wants to my mom wants to name my brother Matthew and my dad is so ardently atheistic that he says uh, it has to be spelled with one T because I don't want it to be biblical. And so, so literally, uh, four years later, they have me and name me Mark. So clearly this guy didn't see the irony of this. I mean, he didn't uh, he even never, know that Mark he had was, never, yeah. If I had another brother, he'd probably call him Luke. He did. He had no reference point. He'd never opened a Bible in his life. So that was the situation. No Bible, no church, yeah. no God. Um, and this was a Canadian context. Yeah, Canadian. Yeah. I, I grew up just outside of Toronto. And so, um... So anyway, I started, uh, met Jesus when I was, um, uh, like really started following him and, and, and had investigated, uh, last year of high school and then, uh, started going to church a couple years later after I'd kind of just studied the new Testament and so on and so forth. So anyway, um, got called to ministry, uh, went to Bible college for a couple of years, felt called in the scholarship, moved to Vancouver. And then instead of continuing academics, uh, toward a PhD, which is why I went out there, God called mm-hmm. me to plant a church to reach unchurched, de-churched people like me. And was and that so like a really, we, like a sense of calling for yeah, you? I mean, yeah, calling was, can mean so many things, but it was it, did a, it just kind of happen and you realized you were doing it? Yeah, or? it was a moment. Yeah, okay. I was at a huh. conference um, listening to a speaker uh, that I'd never heard of. Mm. And it was one of those, you know, it was like everyone else disappeared and it wow. was me and him in a room. That's what it felt like. Can you like. say who it was? Yeah, Would Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is the interesting. The other Mark. The, the other Mark. So I'd never heard of him before. It was in mm. 2007. I was at a conference in Vancouver, and he got up and he, he did this, like, vision pitch for how to reach Canada. And his whole p- Oh, it was in Canada was, that he was speaking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And so his whole point was, look, I don't know much about Canada. Yeah. But here's what I know about movements. If you want to reach your nation... You got to plant gospel-centered churches in the major cities across your country, and that's how you change. Like you don't you don't change a culture by going and picketing uh, law court. You change a culture by reaching lawyers and doctors and judges that make these decisions. They give their life to Jesus, and culture moves downstream. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit and He said, and "The way you're going to do that is by some people in this room are going to be called to actually plant a church, start one." Because it's funner having babies and resurrecting dead people was his quote, and uh, and and in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit. And this has happened a few times in my life. Said he's talking about you, and I went home to my wife and I said, uh, I don't know who this guy was, whatever. But the bottom line is, the Holy Spirit said something that we're you know we should start a church. She's like, Why would you start a church? There's lots of churches. I was like, I know, but this is supposedly a thing. So 16 people, a few years later, got together in my house, and we started talking about how do we start a church for unchurched, de-churched people? So, yeah. so our church isn't for everyone, um, it's, uh, you know, but it had a particular target and a particular people group we were trying to go after. 
and uh, God started saving people and people, we just started preaching through the Bible kind of verse by verse and uh, people started to show up and repent of sin and give their life to Jesus and get changed and bring their friends. And anyway, 10 years later, here we are. Um, and so we have uh, yeah, multi-sites, multi-city and, and all of that stuff. So it's been, God has just been uh, doing some really cool things, transforming people's lives. Yeah. So what do you, what do you do? I mean, it is amazing, uh, particularly for people who aren't in a Canadian context for, mm-hmm. for, um, and maybe if, if you're, you know, some of the European listeners, especially I'm thinking of like, well, you know, Canada and the U.S., um, I mean, it would be remarkable to have this story in a church in the U.S. as well. But particularly in Canada, it's closer to Europe yes, in right. terms of if it's post-Christian. Post- yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a normal like people don't want to go to church in yeah, Canada. No. And they so, don't. And they don't. Yeah, and they, don't. And, they and, it, and there's, you know, lots of dynamics to that. But yeah. Um, uh, I mean, there's so many places I want to, there's mm. so many things I, I want to poke at from here. Mm. I'm trying to decide which way to go. One of the things I'm curious about is when the, un, you know, it's a church for unchurched people, but then the unchurched people start becoming the church people. Mm-hmm. And do you find, do you find they have the same, you know, fast forward now you've been doing yeah. this for, I think a decade. Yeah. So now are they all the, all the unchurched people became the church people or yeah. are they now like Not, all the church people? No, it, <laughs> by, by God's grace that hasn't happened. And I mean, it can, um, because I think what's happened is the people, um, they understand our vision huh. and what and our mission so clearly and our values that that people who like we're pretty clear what we're trying to do. We're going to leverage technology. We're going to try to go across these cities. We're going to plant churches, which is means we spend time and money and energy yeah. on finding leaders to plant them in cities across the country to reach people for Jesus. Which means when you give to the church. This is part of what we do. So right now we're in the midst of a building campaign and we need to raise $30 million to build this building out of which we're going to, and the whole point of it is, look, we're not one site. We're not all just going to get in this building and have church. This is a headquarters out of which we're going to plant these sites across the country. Well, people are giving to that who live in Calgary. They have to buy into that vision because they're never probably going to walk into that building. So why would they pay for it? What they're paying for is the why. What's the mission? What's the vision? What are we doing? So if you are clear about that enough and people either will, they'll just, they'll buy into that. So they're not going to raise all the questions about like, well, why are, you know, those questions, some of those church questions go away Mm. because the mission is what matters. Right. right. And so people well, and, buy and to into be that. Said, you then, don't yeah. have a building right now. I mean, that's, we don't. We're still I mean, a mobile church after 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And after 10 years and after lots of people. Yeah. I mean, part of that, even the, you know, the cost of real estate in yeah. the city where you're doing your work. Yeah. It's, it's the same in here in Toronto. These yeah. expensive places. Very, yeah. Yeah. So we just we just buy. I mean, the Lord did a cool thing. We there were there was no land. Uh, we looked for like, let's renovate that building all of that wasn't an option yeah. so in the city that we were there was no land available this piece of land popped up it was actually attached to the place we were gathering uh, as, a, as a ministry center our the place that we lease and uh we went to the city and and it just popped up and all of a sudden it went from red zone to green zone and we said okay and they said okay it's 10 million dollars for six and a half acres and so we got up to the church and we said look we need 10 million dollars but this isn't like a a whole campaign. We actually need it in the bank in six months, and the church gave it, and we were able to buy that ten million dollars. Ten million dollars in six months, and, and wow, that was just the Lord moving and talking. It was amazing. And so now we're in the midst of now we got to build, and so we're in the midst of that now. And God's moving, and people are being generous and sacrificial, and so Jesus is still alive. This <laughs> stuff still happens even in Canada. It's crazy. We see people baptized. We people marriages healed, addictions freed. People meet Jesus. People come from the marketplace and become church planters. This stuff is people are lined up to plant churches in cities now, and they want to do it in in connection with us. And so we're trying to go, okay, how do we plant in Toronto, in Winnipeg, in Halifax, in Ottawa, in Quebec, in Montreal, you know, all of that. So it's starting to happen. Yeah. And so, um, God is doing this thing that only God can do. Mm -hmm. And also people are involved and he uses us and all our skills and gifts and all that stuff. So like, uh, what, what is um, what do you th- what are some of the things that are making that happen? Because there's lots of churches that this isn't the story that started at the same yeah. time as you, and they have 200 people. Like, right. what are some of the things that that um, and even even just thinking like maybe in a in a smaller way, maybe 
taking it down a level, like t raising $10 million in six months. I'm thinking about that from a communication perspective. What yep. was the story or the, how did you communicate? What do you think was effective mm. in your communication of that? It was like yeah. everything was done. Did you do um, meetings in homes? Were you giving everybody no. um, we did a, couple a pamphlet? Of right, there was, there was definitely a pamphlet, yes, a brochure, a pitch, uh, a, a bit of a campaign yeah. in the sense of like um, a title and a picture and that kind of stuff. And we've continued that on now to what we're calling the final phase. Mm -hmm. the, we have a three-year campaign right now, which is the 30 million. And so it's like you can give the 30 over the course of three years. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so the 10, so it was done by, by really focusing on the why. Like the why of this campaign to get the 10, it's not about building a building. That's not, never what we've been about. We've been about building people. Mm -hmm. about building the mission, um, about reaching people for Jesus. That's what we eat and sleep and breathe. And so that's what people are giving to. They're not giving to bricks and mortar. They're giving to the vision of what we're going to do by leveraging this headquarters. Because to be honest, we're a little vulnerable. Mm. Uh, we rent and one of the biggest places, so our biggest site is actually a high school, a public high school. Okay. And we meet in a, a performing arts center. Yeah, it's like a meets, professional theater of yes, some kind. Yes, it's like a performing arts center, professional theater, balcony, seats about 1,300. We do three services in there, but we rent 20 of the classrooms huh. that are connected to this in a public high school. Well, people, of course, there's cultural differences in regard to philosophy and theology that are starting to rise in tension uh, to the point where they could kick us out because of things that we may believe that culture doesn't or whatever. And so yeah, like it's been, not like for whatever reasons, the politics of it says we don't want churches of this type yes, in our building. Yes. It it's not what we want to represent with this building. Yes. So yeah. we're vulnerable yeah. in the sense that we have a six month. Basically, if, if the if the school decided we were out in six months, we'd be out. Yeah. And there'd be nothing. So we're vulnerable. So we need to build a building. We need to get a headquarters. It's not a building that's going to fit. 5,000 people at once. It's going to be similar to the size we have now. And then the point of it is to do multiple services because, uh, I mean, we can get into whole church philosophy. I don't know if your listeners are church leaders and pastors, and but like building big buildings so you can have less services is actually a staff decision. It's yeah. what your staff like. It's not what the culture needs. What the culture mm -hmm. needs is options because the culture is busy. So everyone's got their kids in sports they're doing this. So Thursday night, as my uh, one of my mentors talks about, Larry Osborne, he says, Thursday night's the new Saturday. So you got to be thinking about do a Saturday night service, do a, a Thursday night, a Monday night. There's unchurched people want to come to church on a Thursday because they're busy. They're going to the, the cottage, yeah. you know, uh, on the weekend. They don't need to, you know, whatever. So well, and especially idea, when Sunday's the only, you know, I think of this yeah. in my context too, like Sunday being the only family day. Right. And, and yes. you say, sorry, honey. I know it's our only day together, but I'm kind of interested in this Jesus thing, yeah. and I'm going to leave you and the kids and go do right. that for a few hours. Totally. How does that go over? Yeah, it doesn't go well. And you're, you know, what you're doing right now, it, you are on the, the tip of the spear of a cultural shift, the digital revolution that's happened since, you know, the invention of the iPhone, is that um, if churches aren't thinking through technology and the digital reality, yeah. Um, we're, we're not figuring evangelism out in the proper way. So, um, yeah. What are you doing about that? Well, what okay, you, so, or what are you thinking about? Okay, what do you so wish you were doing? There's lots. <laughs> oh man. How long is your podcast? There's lots to talk about. Um, is this like Joe Rogan length? Like I mean, your three hour, I mean, we'll talk, uh, you know, are you form? done? So, Have you already no, finished speaking? I'm you done, man. Speak? Yeah. Yeah. Let's well, bring let's in some, uh, talk you know, all that. We, got, we got enough yeah, cough no, candies. Yeah, that's right. We got enough cough <laughs> to candy. last all night. So Carrie Newhoff, uh, do you know, you know, Carrie Newhoff? Yeah, so, Carrie. So Carrie and, friend. I, Carrie and I just, just did a course. I was just up in, uh, his neck of the woods at his studio for two days. We shot a course called the art of better reaching. So we had done a course a couple years ago called the art of better preaching, which was, you know, a kind of a 10 module make you a better communicator. Um, and this was and geared at like a pastor. This who, was this geared was at for... uh, any communicator, okay. any leader, but okay. pretty specifically pastors, leaders, yeah. because it was about how Seminary do you build, students or how do you build, yeah, how yeah. do you build a sermon? Actually, a lot of executive pastors ended up uh, buying it, which was interesting, which okay. is an interesting That's demographic a, yeah. because I think they, 
need to preach a certain amount of times a year and it's not like their thing and so that but a lot of lead pastors and preaching and teaching pastors and communicators and marketplace leaders bought it because it was like how do you present better how do you communicate better right yeah. so anyways so this course is called the art of better reaching and the premise is we're living in a post-christian western world and what are we going to do as the church to reach them so we talk about you know, 10 or 11 shifts that have happened in the post-Christian mind, the post-Christian cultural mind, and how they view God, autonomy, sexuality, technology, all the values and behaviors, whatever. How do you reach that culture? And so it's equipping, giving the tools to leaders and churches to go, how are you going to actually reach these people? A, you got to understand them. B, you need tools of methodology to go, here are the literal granular. So we taught meta, like 30,000 feet, and we get right down to like 10 feet. And we're like, this is what you do with guest services. Right. This is how you actually preach okay. in a church service. And what we're talking about right now, uh, Tim Keller says, um, the more opportunities, the more people opt. Hmm. So you can either push against the trends of the culture or you can embrace them. And you can say, we actually need to shift our philosophy around the cultural rhythms or, or digital stuff. Like digital online apps, people watching stuff on their phones, you know, whatever. That is now, as we talk about in the course, the front door and the side door of your church. If you're not thinking through how to reach people through social media, through these different avenues, uh, what are we doing? This yeah. is the new, like, yeah. physical space and attendance on a Sunday is actually not in the new reality what you really... So what we talk about is engagement is the new attendance. Mm. Like you might have a thousand people that come to your physical site, but you might be actually influencing hundreds of thousands that. of yeah. people. And you, and you probably that. are hundred yeah. X. And for pastors, yeah, how do you, and how you measure that and how why, do you measure and, that? And even should you measure should it? You, me you know, it depends. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of pastors are like, yeah, yeah. But if I, if I really touched a pain point for people, they would say, yeah, yeah, that's great. I have a hundred thousand listeners and you know, whatever they might go. Yeah, but it's not worth the time and the energy because it doesn't translate into physical presence and it doesn't translate into money, money. and it doesn't. And what we're trying to say and what the data is actually showing is if you do it well, it can. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of people. We talk about this guy in the States who runs a church of about, um, I don't know what it was, 15,000 people or something. And, um, he brings in about three or four or $5 million a year by people who are never physically present at a physical site because people engage with the service online. They see it as part of their church and they actually give to it. Right. And there's lots of churches out there. So that's just an illustration. Not that you follow the money and this is all, this isn't about money. No, this but is it does about, cost, I mean, it does cost money to it, do the things. It costs a lot of money so to do So there has to be yeah. something sustainable about that. Totally. And yeah. it has to if you're translate. Not, yeah. And my point is more what does it look like to redefine what engagement or a quote unquote attendance even is, or yes. who is your church is yes. now being redefined, yeah. not just by physical space, but by online. And there's a, anyways, so we talk a lot about that kind of stuff in, um, in the course hmm. and talk about the shifts in the culture and how to actually reach those people. So anyway, that's, and was that, yeah. for, I mean, because you're a younger, relatively younger church. Um, oh, okay. I thought uh, you were talking about me. Younger. Well, you're a young I'm guy too. 40. You're a young buck. I'm feeling <laughs> my mom had a mug given to her when she was 40. It said over the hill. And I always remembered it. And now I'm on the brink of my 40th birthday. Like this year. Well, you turned 40 this yeah, year. Yeah. In August, okay. man. Oh, that's I am a big like, one. I am freaking out a little bit. Freaking out a little bit. Gotta have a big party. Yeah. We'll see. But no, with, with a younger church and you know, a young, guy leading oh, yes, it. yes, yes. Uh, yes. I guess I'm curious, like, for your board or for the senior leadership, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's all well and good. I'm thinking even, like, you know, not the, the senior leader listening, but, you know, the youth pastor listening. Or, yes, like, right. you know, measuring, like, well, my my boss only cares about how many kids come to the youth group. Sure. They're not thinking about all the kids we're connecting with online yeah. through all this other stuff. So yeah. was it a struggle for your your team or your executive or your board to make a mind shift there? Or has it kind of been in the, in the mix yeah, from it's, day it's one? By for God's you guys? grace, honestly, it's been part of the DNA for so long yeah. that actually our, our elders are like, um, they're really on the cut. Like they want to leverage technology. They're like, how do we reach countries? We're not reaching yes. right now. How yes. do we actually like, this is the future. And so, um, 
it's been great to actually have people like that at the table who are really jacked about that. And I think the church is too. But I think that youth pastor, I mean, the ultimate goal is to try to translate that into physical presence in a sense because you want as much as you can, as if they're local, that you want that youth in the context of a community, not isolated yeah. and alone and being yeah. bullied and you know all of that. You want them in a, there's nothing like that, right? The physical presence of a group of 100 teens doing life together. Blah, blah. And so you get to lead them and love them and disciple them. And so yeah. it's what I'm using it as is like a, a first point of contact. Yeah. You need to really think about how to then take it from the kind of front door into the, yeah. you know, well, the I mean, I talk I talk about it sometimes on here as like a dating app. Mm -hmm. I try to use that as the analogy. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Because the point <laughs> is, is the, if you're assuming you're not a super weird catfish, you know, whatever, yeah. assuming everything's yeah. normal, the <laughs> point is when to meet someone online you never would have met in person, yeah. you never could have had contact with that person, yeah. i.e. Jesus, if right. you had not found it on the internet. But the idea of dating is, in fact, to meet face-to-face -face yes. and to touch the person. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like, that is yes. ultimately where Once you're, you're heading. Married. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. You're right, you're right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, that's the point of it. Yes, but yes. then even then, when you are in the relationship, yeah. um, I'm sure, you know, you're away from your family right now. You're in mm -hmm. your... The digital world is part of your relationship. Then yeah. moving forward, yeah, we fa you my FaceTime. family FaceTime me yeah. from the Eiffel Tower oh, cool. two hours ago. Come on, yeah. that's so. Oh, you aren't there. Sorry. I know. What is <laughs> going on? The city of love. That uh, sounds way yeah, anyway. nicer than. I mean, we're having a great. We're doing. We're, we're having a great day. Yeah, but I mean, uh, it's just yeah. it's Eiffel Tower. Yeah. So, so yes. Yeah, so it's still there, yeah. and it needs to be part of it. But yes, it's not the ultimate goal. And there's obviously kinds of discipleship that are going to lack. Uh, in that context, but if the church ignores it, like so recently, so we do, we're a video church. I'll give you an example. So we're, so we do video sermons on one week delay across all of our sites so that everybody's on the same page. So I was sitting on a stage with a group of pastors and there was a Q and A and one of them was like, Hey, Mark does video, you know, sermons. What do you think? And a couple of the guys on stage were like, to be honest, I think it's wrong. And oh. they started kind of busting my chops. This was recently? Yeah, okay. a year or two, two ago. Yeah, okay. Started busting my chops a little bit methodologically and, and theologically. Yeah. On stage in front of all these people. Now we, we yeah. knew each other. My surprise I, I is, yeah. I think my surprise is because of the time, like, because yeah, it's well, that's, so common that, now. So that's, that's why the, I was asking right. if it was so, recent. And that's kind of the point, yeah. is like, I, I'm sitting there thinking, if we're still, and I, and I understand the critiques and incarnational and presence and this and that. Sure. But if we're still asking that question, I feel like we're going to be dinosaurs. Mm. because the world has moved on. At least if you're not willing to engage video and technology in regard to the first point of contact and even church services and all of that, I think we're kind of behind, you know, it's like we're, it's kind of classic. Like the church is like 20 years behind usually yeah. and we're all like, okay, we're just, yeah. you know. So well, and just get Facebook. We'll get Facebook now. And it's like, <laughs> all right, like, move, yeah, everyone's yeah. moved on. Uh, yeah. kid, no one you know, under 25 yeah, is yeah. using no, it anymore. No. Um, they, well, they use Facebook. They just don't know it. They're using other companies yes, owned yes, by of course, Facebook. Of course, yes. <laughs> We're all controlled by Facebook. Yeah, so watch out. Zuckerberg's watch coming Watch out. For Here us. he comes. No, I mean, but then how do you, um, uh, maybe on a, on a personal level, how do you navigate digital spaces for yourself? Um, because obviously we're living in an age where we're also acknowledging there are some problems with yes. addiction and yes. and mental health yeah. and Big time. you know like yeah. um, you know porn stuff yeah. all that stuff that messes and even yeah. in the midst of right now where it's this coronavirus stuff and the panic and you don't know what's true and what's not right. read all this stuff on the internet um, yeah I mean it's a huge huge conversation there's yeah. there's boundaries there's I have a 13 year old daughter. Um, yeah. Well, what do you what do you give her well, access we, to? So we should, we just gave her access to Instagram about a year ago, and the reason was, and we control it heavily. So we're actually uh, the reason was is because she's a musician. So she's a, a great songwriter, 
and a great singer. Like, I've, I've like, heard it. I know. Have you really? Yeah, I Isn't have. it? Like, well, because you post there. it, so I like, you right. know, you go rabbit the, trail down these right. things. Right, and every, of course, every parent, I like to think I'm a little more no, self-aware. Right? There's something yeah. there. Like, she's just got this depth to her, a poetry, catchy, de- yeah. I don't help her with any, people are like, oh, Mark helped her write, I'm like, I don't t- I don't write yeah. one line of these. Things. Well, she this comes is up where she's at crazy. today. Imagine five I years know. from now. It's like, yeah, like, keep writing, girl. Like, you got a depth of poetry here. So it's pretty cool. So that's the reason we did it. So it's like, you know, her music page. But it all comes through, first off, it comes through my wife's phone. So my wife evaluates because what oh, happens... Oh, it's not on her own phone. It is on her own oh. phone. But my wife uh, has to evaluate what's happened on it, it yeah. okay, before she sees it every day. So got we it. put all the phones downstairs. They're yeah. not allowed phones in their bedrooms, first yeah. off. Any parent out there, if you, you think your 15-year-old's upstairs watching Jimmy Kimmel clips, you got your brain in, a, in the sand, all right? They're looking at <laughs> porn. Don't... Like, do not trust your 15-year-old boy because he wants to bring his phone into his bedroom at yeah. night. That's not what he's well, watching. Well, and your girl, okay. too. And he's, the girls, 100%, yeah. statistically very high. So all the phones are downstairs, plugged in, blah, blah. Um, she comes down in the morning. My wife's already checked. And the reason is, and this is where parents are just, like, clueless, naive. Um, many, many times my wife will check her my daughter's saying, and there's DMs, there's direct messages, and there's actual like people doing like there's people out there that don't, they're not good people, right. and so they try to there's predators, all these things, and they and they try all TikTok and Instagram and these apps that you don't even you and I don't know about that your kids got buried in their you know thing. It looks like a calculator, and it's a whole world of nonsense. You've got to be so careful, and yeah. so uh, so anyway, so that's where the other ones don't have anything. And so it's only Instagram. It's not TikTok because we think TikTok's got all kinds of problems with it. Um, even though people are like, she's got to get on TikTok. So she has a YouTube channel where she uploads her singing and then she's got Instagram right now and she it's pretty heavily. So that's how we've done it. But you're right. I mean, but we set up these rules for kids, but what about kid, our we brains, should, of course, right? we our should own for brains, ourselves. Yeah. So the kid conversation, yeah. and again, I could, I'm not a psychologist, right? I don't yeah. know about but every dopamine and brain. how it works. Yeah. Their brains aren't even close to formed yet. And so now you're coming in super early, you're shaping their brains. It's, it's, it's chaos. Um, and so you're, you're not doing them any service at all by make, I mean, even my, even my friends, I was talking to my friend, I think she's almost 50. She used to sit and blog. A lot. And she said she used to be able to sit and blog for an hour straight. Just write, 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 write. She says in the last five years, she realized she gets bored in like 10 minutes. Wow. And she just goes to her phone and scrolls a bit and goes back. And like our, all of us are being affected. And we know it. And we're not going to know for 20 years what the actual impact of this thing is. Like we don't know. But we know that there's certain pathways that get carved out in the brain. When you're looking at, whether it's pornography, whether you're looking at the dopamine that gets released every time you get a text message and a DM and a whatever, it's carving out pathways of addiction. So we know that. Yeah. So I don't want that in my 10-year-old. It's going to mess them up. I don't want that in my 40-year-old, but at yeah. least a 40 has got maturity. Anyways, all that to say, so we've set up boundaries and... Uh, and we're pretty heavily watching what our kids do. And anyway, so that's one way we're doing it. And boundaries for ourselves, of course. Um, I do the Instagram thing, um, a little Facebook, because I'm an yeah. author, so I'm ex- you know writing yeah. things on that and whatever. And uh, anyway, do, do my best to not get addicted to these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. and, and at some level, I think most of us, if we're honest, we are at some level have an addiction. I mean, even yeah. just evidenced yeah. by the lack of focus we're able to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Yeah. I didn't hear what you said. Yeah. Well, okay. So then, like, so then I'm circling this back around to you as a communicator and a preaching mm-hmm. staff. So you're, how long are the messages that you preach? Um, they're supposed to be exactly 45 minutes. Okay. I don't think I've hit that ever. Yeah. I think I go closer to 47 to 51, um, every week. And I, and I'm worked, I'm trying to work on that to get it to really nail 45 because it affects all of our cinema sites and the worship and the announcements yeah. and, and we've got to flip over and services and, yeah. and the kids. Men. So let's, let's go with 45 minutes. Yeah. So how, how is, again, we're, we're thinking like, uh, 45 minutes of content yeah. in a culture that can't focus for 10 minutes. Right. How does, how do you, oh, what, man, how are, a, what's, how's that part of your process? Podcast. Yeah. It's, yeah. Or I, how are you building a message to with, or do you, do you think about that when you're yeah. creating yeah, your content? Of course. It's all I think about. Yeah. I, I, um, so I've been preaching for about 20 years and I didn't grow up in the church. So my, my audience, when I build a sermon, um, is a very particular target. 
And what I try to do, you know, they, they say in media, like television shows or newscasts, or if you're developing a, a show, you have to write it at like a grade six level, grade seven level tops, because the general populace isn't going to understand, even if you write it at a grade 10, 11 level. So you shoot for the lowest common denominator in basic media communication, right? So you have to preach. So I picture like a 35-year-old guy when I preach who watches movies and reads the New York Times, okay? So this, this fusion of person, a skeptic. Yeah, you've got, a, you've got a character in your mind. I have mind. a character Does he have a in name? my mind. Some people no, give them a name. name. No, he doesn't have a name. I, Village Vic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and so, but I also... His pitch, name's Chad, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Chad. But, but here's the funny thing. So my daughter, for the first time, my daughter is now in church because she's 13. So now I picture her huh? and I'm like, I'll go in and watch someone preach a sermon. And I picture my daughter sitting and I'm like, she, you've lost her. She is gone bored first off because you have not captured her imagination. Mm. You have not interested her. You've done content for 20 minutes, but you haven't rooted it in anything. So I try to not only from a form perspective, be passionate because people are going to be interested if you're passionate. But you, at least he cared, right? Yeah, at like, least he cares. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's that story told uh, of David. I don't know if it's true. David Hume, the great, you know, Scottish skeptic who hated everything to do with Christianity. And George Whitfield was preaching and he was walking and some guy shouted out his window and said, where are you going? And David Hume said, I'm going to watch George Whitfield preach. And he says, yeah, but you don't believe anything that he says. And David Hume said, yeah, but he does. Hmm. You know, I want to watch a guy burn. Yeah. Well, I'll, there's I'll that something about, I want a guy like, like, he like, watch, like people come to watch me burn. There's yeah, some, yeah, from there's a mile away. Some revival. Yeah. So there's some passion that I think that. people, you got to have passion. If you are drawing in this in on a monotone and people, you don't bleed it. I don't know whether the modern mind is going to embrace you. Uh, granular, eye contact. I memorize everything. I work from five o'clock. Oh, you don't o'clock. use notes. I notes sit there if a, for a quote or whatever. Yeah. But I'll uh, yeah. barely use notes. Uh, you try to like be with I the people. I memorize yeah, my talk huge. and work super hard. 5 p.m. to midnight or 11 every Saturday night. And I'm not sure a lot of communicators have the discipline and are willing to make the sacrifice to be as good as they need to be, to right. be honest with you. Well, and you it's know, hard. I will say like a lot of the people were being, I say we, cause I'm a communicator as well, but a lot of people you get compared to, um, you know, yeah. the, and this is like, they have their five talks. They know yeah. them in and exactly. out. They know them they cold. Yep. And so they can impress with, I, you know, they yep. don't have, they don't need their notes because they, because this is the talk they do over and over. Yes. But the week to week preacher in the yep. local church who's being yep. compared to them. I mean, I, I think that it, as you said, like that is a ton of work. It's to, a ton of work. And I, and I to, think to get off notes when you're doing I'm new not, content every week. And I'm not, I agree with you, but I've been doing it for 20 years and that's why I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who say they can't do it. Now, right. there may be a legitimate mental reason that you can't do it. Like, let's say that your brain just doesn't work like that. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Doesn't matter how hard you work, there's no way you could get up and not read your notes. Fair enough. Okay. Assuming most people, it's like, no, no, no. If you worked from 5 p.m. every Saturday night. So, so when I say that, the sermon's written. So not, do you write not, a manuscript for yes. it or you write points? I or? manuscript. Okay, you do. So huh. Saturday night for me is taking a manuscript I've written during the week and memorizing every angle of it. Huh. I'm talking about saying every story out loud, yeah. preaching it for three hours out loud to a wall over yeah. and over and over again until it's perfect. Huh. Like obsessively perfect. So you still have from your notes an exact way you want to say it. Yes. But you're you're memorizing. Yes. As opposed to memorizing the because another way of course is you have a point that you yeah. you like the story is like the story about the boat and yeah. you can tell that story five different ways. Yes. So but so you have a way you want yes, to say it. Yes. So so what I'll do is I'll I'll my first draft like on a Friday. Yeah. Might be uh, Joe met me at the dock. He took the boat out. It was a yellow boat, but the green boat made the mistake and crashed into us, and so boats yeah. suck or something, right? <laughs> but by Saturday night, it's boat. 
Right. In bold with a highlight over it. That's what it looks like. Saturday. So by the time I'm up there on, on Sunday, mm-hmm. it's three pages. It's not 12. Yeah. It's been condensed because of the hard work of Saturday night. And that's a sacrifice that my myself and my family have had to make for two decades. I say goodbye to my family every Friday or every Saturday night at 5 p.m. and I'm gone for the rest of the night. So that's the call. So you're either going to be great or you're going to settle for good. And if you settle for good, it means you're not willing to make the sacrifice. So here's a story I like to illustrate this because I'm trying to inspire communicators right now. So have you watched um, the first season of uh, how to uh, drinking coffee with people in cars, comedians in cars, Comedian drinking cars, coffee. getting coffee. Yeah, have you, have you, have you yeah, watched Yeah, well, I haven't, I've seen enough episodes to know what you're talking Did about. Did you watch the episode with Kramer, Michael Richards? Yeah. Okay, so he tells a story that I think is fascinating for communicators. He says, I don't know if you remember this, you probably do. He says, um, he says, did you, Jerry says, I, I used to walk in the dressing room and see you standing two feet from the wall rehearsing your lines. Now, as, a, as, a, as an observer, when you watch Kramer, you're like, if there's one guy not rehearsing his lines, it's Kramer. <laughs> he's sliding in, he's doing kick at the, and he's leaving, you know, he's yeah. doing crazy stuff. Yeah. This guy, Jerry then says, you worked harder than all of us. You sat there in front of a wall and thought through every single angle of what you were about to do. And Kramer says, you know, I sometimes regret it because I feel like I didn't enjoy the 90s because I was just so obsessed with my craft. And Jerry said, you know what? I thought this is fascinating. He said, you know what? It wasn't your job to enjoy it. You sacrificed so everybody watching could enjoy it. Wow. That is, I think, the job of the communicator. That's the burden we bear. Mm. If we're not in a room making the sacrifice, we're not willing to do the thing for everybody else. It's their job to enjoy it, not yours. I hate, by the, by the time, you know, by the time you are preaching that to you, you hate this material. It is puking <laughs> out. I don't like it. There's always that point where you think, why did I agree? Like there's oh, a, that point where you're oh, reaching the, the pain. And why did I agree it's to this? It's the bane of my existence <laughs> is preaching. Yeah, huh, the bane. Huh. Interesting. It's the, it's, the, it's the hardest, worst part of my job. It's grueling. I don't mm. enjoy it. Mm. It's a sacrifice. But it's one of the most fruitful pieces of your yeah. work. And so that's yeah. why I do it. It's a calling. And so anyway, my point being is I think there's actually people out there listening to this. And I'm not trying to be mean or whatever. I mean, I'm sure you're great. I don't know you. But um, <laughs> that is like... Uh, but you're too lazy. You might have to work harder. Huh. You might have to work harder. You might have to get a little more obsessed because I think the church, uh, the, the culture in Canada and Europe and the States, they deserve a better class of communication, I think, in the, in the context of the church. So I think there's ways you can become better. And I think we should all work hard at becoming better. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And, um, you know, I th- certainly in an age, I think maybe it's the context I come in where I see a lot of what I call motivational preachers. Yeah. You know, they're not saying a lot. Right. But you're trying to add, you're doing the work of the content, the depth, uh, and then the connection on top of that. People can tell whether you're bringing them the conclusions and it's just the tip of the iceberg and there's a whole lot of stuff underneath the water. People can, it's palpable. They can tell versus this is literally all this person has. They <laughs> scraped the yeah. bottom. Yeah. They looked up some sermon last night, stole yeah. some. Found a Greek word. Stole some Keller from 88. So no one would remember, and uh, and they're using it on us right now. You can tell that, right? Oh, you can tell that. Yeah, and and to be fair, you know, yeah. people are busy. I mean, if you're the really, if you're the, the the one person show. I, I show is the wrong word, but no, you know no, what I'm no. saying. No, 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 but the one pastor sitting yeah. there in you Pennsylvania got, you, with 150 people, you're burying everyone, marrying everybody, doing yeah. all the marriage counseling. I get and it. And then you had a crisis at home that week. Totally. I you get know, it. I get it. I get it. And that's why I'm saying I'm not trying to beat up. Yeah. We're, so we're, we're talking about the overall story going work harder, be better, as opposed to yeah. the there are lots of weeks where stuff happens. Of course. There's, yeah. there's always, talking general principles, sure. there's always a reason here, sure. there, everywhere. And so... Um, you know, in this, I think there's, I'd love to, I'd love to, I know you share, you share about this publicly. Uh, tell me about this, this interesting weakness that you have um, uh-huh. as a communicator. And I say weakness because I actually don't think it is really a weakness. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that God said like, hey, you're going to be a communicator. Mm-hmm. But you, like people can't, uh, people 
listening maybe wouldn't realize. Right. Yeah, so uh, when I was nine years old, I got Tourette syndrome, which developed into obsessive compulsive disorder when I was uh, in high school. So Tourette syndrome, uh, the way it you know manifests itself in me is probably from the psychological strain of my parents being divorced. I would do these random habits, so a lot of ticks, so facial ticks, body ticks, but then I would like swear randomly, like just you know f f f or whatever, and it was just like this compulsion. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, the one job that that someone is not going to do when they randomly throw f bombs down is be a preacher. It doesn't tend to work out very well. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, on. usually people with Tourette's yeah. are not right communicating, um, communicating on a stage successfully. <laughs> yes, right. Good way of putting it. So God has decided, for whatever reason, to use me to. I remember when I was about to plant in this uh, place that we planted, uh, the church. Uh, it's called South Surrey. It's a beautiful part of Vancouver, and it's filled with a lot of successful people. A lot of, you know, you look at the homes, and they're perfect homes, and perfect marriages, and perfect cars, and perfect clothes. And, and I said to him, I don't know that this is going to work, because when I get up there, and these people walk, first of all, into a, a, an elementary school gym, Right, which tends not to be when you're making 500 grand a year, not mil- cool. millions a They're year. Not, you don't tend to walk impressive. into a yeah, yeah. stinky junior high, smelly gym. Yeah. So that's going to be a problem. The other problem is going to be I'm up there tweaking my face around, looking like in, you know, looking weird. And he looked at me one day and he said something very profound. He said, "I think it will work, and I'll tell you why. I think you're going to give them permission." Hmm. And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "I think you're going to give them permission to be broken." Because none of them are actually together. Their lives are a wreck. And you're going to be, you're going to exemplify this kid up there trying to make it happen. And he's imperfect and he's doing his best. And they're going to see in you a kind of liberation for themselves. And that's what started to happen. Wow. So it's very bizarre. And do you see, like, do, have you been able to connect those dots at all? Like, do you have people talk to you about that? Or you maybe see okay. it in the... I had a woman, this is fascinating. So one day I got up and shared a story and I said, you know, uh, for years and years and years, now God's taken by God's grace. He's removed some of these compulsions from me uh, to this point. Mm. But one of them used to be like, I would touch a table a certain amount of times and that's so that you wouldn't get coronavirus. If you said coronavirus earlier, I would, I would start doing this or I'd have to like hit my hands together a certain amount of times or smack a pole in an airport and then walk back five minutes later and smack it three more times. So the plane didn't go down. All of this was how I lived my life. So I was using this in a sermon illustration one day and this woman gets in touch. She walks up to me at the school the next day and she's like, Mark, you don't understand. She's like, my whole life, I have lived in a kind of prison. For instance, <laughs> she says, for the last 10 years, we have kids, and I'll sit at home, and I'll fold laundry, and I'll say that this corner of the towel has to hit that corner of the towel, and if it doesn't, my husband will die in a car accident. Tape. And if I roll the towel up and it hits this, and I don't put it away perfect, my kid is going to die at school. This is how I live every day, and I've never told anybody in the world, including my husband, because I thought I was the only person on the planet that this happened to. And I thought it was totally mental. Wow. Then you got up and said that. And by the time I'm in the car, I looked at my husband and said, you know, that crazy way he thinks that's me. And the liberation she felt like, Oh my goodness, I can heal. I can tell the world for this. I can tell, you know, I can, I can tell people this. So there are people who, you know, but but yeah, it doesn't happen every week. People don't walk up. Hey, cool. You know? Um, so it's not something that defines me. Like I try not to let it define me. Um, I try to just kind of preach through it. And, uh, it's a bit of the thorn in my flesh, I guess, you know, that concept from Corinthians and yeah, the Lord uses it in that context of in your weakness, I am strong. I use the foolish things of the world to, you know, confound the wise. And uh, I think that's partly what it's about. I don't, I don't yeah, I don't really know. So, anyway, yeah. so. No, it's, I yeah. think it's, it is. I think it's uh, prophetic in some mm. way. It's a mm. speaking, and when I, what, by that I mean. Yeah, in it's kind a, of it's an Ezekiel a tr- it's a, kind it's of a way truth, yeah. It's speaking truth. Right. Um, yeah. without saying anything. And right, I, yeah. and, That's and a good I, way of putting it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of 
of speakers when you when you really ask. A lot of that stuff, it's tricky because yours is just more visible, but there's other people I know of a famous preacher. I think it's, I, I think Rick Warren is the guy who apparently there's something in him that is about, it's an adrenaline issue okay. where before he gets up to speak, because of adrenaline, he has excruciating migraines okay. through the duration of his speaking, oh. like hor- like almost blackout. Terrible. It's horrible, Terrible. horrible. But he's like, this is what I need to do with my life, yeah. so I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. But like people don't know I'm like in agony the wow, entire time I'm doing it. I know um, uh, my me- one of my mentors, Larry, knows Rick. Personally, so maybe maybe there maybe uh, he'd know more of the details. Yeah, of yeah, that but no, story, wait, but, but the interesting. He says he's the smartest guy he's ever met. Wow, he's the smartest guy in any room he's in. Huh? He's he said he's just off the charts. Wow. Yeah, pretty crazy. Anyway, I don't know if that's connected nah. to why he has migraines. Maybe his brain's working. His brain's than too big. Else's. It can't. Yeah, it's exactly. trying to get out of his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, yeah. another question I have for you. Yeah. I know we're, we're we we gotta mm-hmm. we gotta finish you got other stuff you got to mm-hmm. do yeah. i think i think you're the kind of guy we probably could get like three hours out of you yeah. but you probably have other stuff to do <laughs> well so, the guy at the door is yeah. <laughs> putting but pressure on talk him. to me about yeah. men yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah i think this is a i say that as broadly because i want to see where you want to go with it but okay. it's something that you are um going after addressing men yeah. in our culture yeah talk to me about what, what you think about that and how you're communicating to them <sighs> Or yeah, I what's, think what you're trying to change. I think um, I think reaching men is important. I mean, I, I think reaching men and women is obviously important. Um, but uh, reaching men is important for the church to think about ways to do it, as of course reaching women is, because um, they like. If you look at, it's very interesting. The whole like coming back to Joe Rogan, right? So you have this guy who's the, literally the most listened to by by. By such right. a big margin. Yeah. Okay. He's the most downloaded podcast in the world. Okay. And it's, and and it's long, by the way. And it's three hours. Yeah, it's it's long form. Short attention spans. Right. And now people are probably watching, listening to it over the course of three or four drives yeah. or whatever. But the point is, is that and and he's tapping in, and you look at like the rise of like a Jordan Peterson and these kind of guys. There, there, there's something about <laughs> as much as you may disagree with their philosophies and theologies and whatever. Um, and I do in certain ways, they're, they're tapping into something in the culture that has like men are in this, are in a really scary place. Uh, the pornification of our culture, the, the, it, it, there's a, there was a CNN book written years ago by, uh, David Zimbardo or something called the demise of guys. And it's all about how guys are just, you like, they're just playing video games, sitting at home. They don't know how to deal with a real woman they don't know how to sacrifice they don't know how to run a house they have no motive like there's all these identity issues you know uh, carrie talked to keller the other day in manhattan timothy keller and said i say that for your listeners because i'm assuming you know who keller is but some people might not uh and he ran a church in manhattan for 30 years and so on he said if he was planting again today and it wasn't 1989 when he planted in manhattan he would talk about identity almost every week because that's kind of the issue behind the issue for a lot of people so it's like yeah what are men and identity dealing with and how does the gospel affect their lives and set them on fire to do something significant that can help impact the culture in a positive way because if they're good fathers then they're going to have good kids and they're going to raise good families and they're going to serve their wife well they're going to love them well they're going to sacrifice they're going to provide all those things because oftentimes bad men and the prison system could of course vouch for this affect a culture in a negative way it just is what it is in vancouver um a few years ago the vancouver canucks lost a hockey game i'm not a hockey fan so i didn't care but they rioted in the city i was there you were there unfortunately (laughs) i was there that so they rioted they're burning cars now wild and to be honest to be honest it was young men with no vision Mm. for their life so i have like a heart it's not an exclusive target, but it's a heart for how can the church do better at reaching a demographic we have failed to engage right. because the church talks in a particular way, does aesthetics in a particular way, whatever the reasons are. There's a plethora of them, and I'm not saying they're all shallow. Um, so anyway, I think, you know, it was funny. I was on the golf course and I was walking, um, the golf course, the green and the tee for the next, there's a road in between it. And I was walking, this guy was walking his dog. He was the classic, like 28 year old kind of beefed up guy. And as he's walking, 
I hear him listening to a podcast and I can just tell it's um, uh, Jordan Peterson's voice because he's going to get that Kermit yeah. the Frog thing going. And so it's like, um, so I, I, so I stopped him. He's walking his dog. I said, Hey, why do you listen? You listen to Joe Rogan? He's like, yeah. I like, why do you listen to that? And he's like, dude, this guy's like speaking to my soul. And mm. this guy's not a critic. I mean, he's just a random guy. Yeah. He's like, he's trying to give me a vision and a, con- a construct and a framework in yeah. which to be a contributor yeah. and to sacrifice and to carry a load and to right. take responsibility. No one's asking me to take responsibility. No one's calling me to anything. Right. And I think the church has this great, crazy, special moment where it can call people to stuff, mm. both men and women. Yeah. You well, know, and anyway, it's, so and it's the fatherlessness yeah. factor, you know, oh. like an era of, of men and women, yes. you know, women have different and similar, yes. similar and different issues from the same source of like yeah. absent dads or crappy dads, a generation oh. of them, mm-hmm. uh, that absent. affects identity. Yep. All the things you're saying. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So anyway, so that's why, I don't, like I said, I don't exclusively think, you know, let's go rah, rah, man, man, man. Like, I think that can turn toxic. Um, but I do think if the church could think about, intentionally think about, okay, now how does what we're about to say and do, um, how could it more effectively reach both men and women? Um, I think we'd be in a, in a, in a good place because then you're going to have guys who love Jesus follow Jesus, sacrifice, or less narcissistic and selfish and whatever, and it's going to be good for culture yeah. in general. And well, even like in the Me Too movement, you know, I mean, men and women can be sexually abused, but who yeah. are the people doing it? Right. 99% of the time, it's men doing yeah. the... So it's like, okay, there's a problem here. There's, there's a, a narrative yes. that people are living into about yeah. negative, like a, masculinity in all the wrong ways, yeah. when there's actually such an amazing thing that could be masculinity 100%. if that same energy was pointed in the right direction, yeah. in a healthy direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I... And I, I I, um, I mean, I can see how in in a, in the same way, you know, Mark Driscoll had uh, obviously like his church, you know, it all mm-hmm. collapsed and it yep. was sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but what you know, there's lots of things that I we don't need to get into about that. But but one of the things that he was trying to do was this go after yeah. talking to guys. Yeah. And um, and and his- I see you doing a similar. You know, yeah. similar thing. Well, I'm trying, and I'm trying to learn the lessons from him too. And yeah, um, what to do and what not to do. <laughs> and, and he was going after a particular demographic in Seattle, though. And I find, you know, the church sometimes. You know, I didn't grow up in the church, right? So the church sometimes drives me crazy because there are all these self righteous people mm. who think they know what they're talking about. And it's like, don't sit in some city three thousand miles away from the Ballard campus of Seattle the home of Pearl Jam and Nirvana <laughs> and, and judge a guy for what he was trying to do. You don't know the guy. I've been there. I was there. I watched it. It was something was going on and it was like palpable. Um, he was reaching the demographic. He wasn't, this was before podcast. He didn't care about your town in Nebraska and what you're going to write on your vlog and blog about him. He didn't care. He's talking to the guy in Seattle who sits around and plays video games all day and has no idea, smokes weed, watches porn, and has no idea what to do with a job or a woman. And he goes, let's look at Jesus, right? Let's go. This is the most masculine man who's ever lived. He took responsibility, not for his own sin, but for everybody else's. He sacrificed his life. He wasn't a narcissist. He didn't play video games. He blah, 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 blah. Get a life. Wake up. Get on mission. And it worked. And it was a thing. Now, we can all look back and judge history and go, oh, my goodness. How can you do that? And it's like, because he wasn't preaching in your town. He was preaching in Seattle. And that's what Seattle, we all talk about being incarnational and figuring out what the culture that you're speaking to needs and all that. And that, at a particular moment in time, was what uh, that culture needed. And anyway, so all that to say, I I don't think it was all a perfect scenario by any means, but um, I think he was effective in a a very interesting way. And whatever that means for the church going forward, apply it to your own context. What does that look like in Toronto? What is that in a healthy, beautiful, gospel-centered way? What does that look like in Halifax and Winnipeg and New York and wherever people are listening? You know, what does that look like? So I think the church, anyway, that's what I would say my heart 
uh, for men is because I see these fam I see these couples that come in <coughs> and the wife's sitting there dying for her husband to like get it together. Mm. And he's literally sitting playing video games on his phone every night. Like there was this couple, I said, she's like, I just wish, and he's like, I don't know why you spend money on coffee every day. And she's like, well, cause I like a little Starbucks. I don't know why you sit on the phone every night. He's like, well, it's because me and my buddies play this game where I have to get uh, cannons and then I shoot at their cannons and then they get fields. And he does this for three hours a night. And I'm sitting there going, what are we talking about right now? <laughs> like, what are we actually, where are we as a society? <laughs> like, you know, and it just makes me ask all these existential questions and I, I get dark quick. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, we need a bigger vision for people's right, lives right, right. now. Right, right. Well, and even... Um, I, I think we, we can't go into it all now, but, but mo recently and publicly in a series you did, I wrote down the name, Anything Goes series. So yep. Anything Goes, you yep. were talking, you've even on, and on the woman's side, you've changed your position yes. as a yep. church on women in leadership. Yeah. Um, do you, do, in, in brief, do you want to say anything about that? Because we've just spent a bit of Well, yeah. I mean, we just spent some time talking yeah. about guys, and I think yeah. it's a really yeah. important topic because I think it's yeah. not talked about enough. Yeah. Um, but, but, so you know, the, the, the change we people made. People can go listen to your message. People can go and listen to the whole thing, Anything Goes yeah. series. This issue yeah, of the women change we made was uh, women pastors. Um, I, you know, uh, hermeneutically, I always start with the Bible and I try to do my best to say, what does the Bible say, not what the culture says? And um, and so I was asking all my, I, at the time we were like, you know, pastors were men only and preachers were men only. And, um, and I couldn't biblically figure out a way to justify a woman pastor. And so I was like, I don't want to do something the Bible doesn't, you know, I don't want to do something just because everyone else is doing it. So, and then a couple years ago, I was uh, thinking a lot about, I was doing a lot of reading around missiology and how the church is going to reach people in a post-Christian world, blah, blah, blah. And I was reading somebody who was talking a lot about apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, the APEST model of ministry. And I realized that it struck me that in Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about APEST, apostle, prophet, and there's no gender anywhere near it, but there's this word shepherd main slash pastor and there's no and only men shall be apostles prophets evangelist shepherd teacher it was it's both genders and i was like okay so then if i don't then i was reading corinthians with all these passages and it was like you know women speaking in the church and you know they're allowed to pray and prophesy but when they do they should do it with a head covering i'm like oh okay so they were actually praying and prophesying they were in the doing church it, oh yeah. okay there was just so a, a way there was a way of doing do it. it right so so I started kind of breaking open some of those texts and started realizing, oh, I don't want to out-Bible the Bible and, and restrict anybody from anything that the Bible would allow. And so we changed our theology on that. So anyway, that's a summary. Yeah. And people, you know, if they want to see your, a bit more of the process on that, they can go check out that, yeah. that series. It's yeah, on your website. So then 51-minute sermon on it or something. 51 <laughs> minutes, <laughs> not 45. No. So, um, I mean, on that note, we'll wrap. Yeah. But uh, um, people... Whether the Anything Goes series or all kinds of other, where do people find more of you? More like your uh, book, you know, the yeah, church. The book, where do you want to send people? The book is on theproblemofgod.com. Um, uh, it's been out for a couple of years. It's, you know, going through all the big skeptical questions of Christianity and science and sex and hypocrisy and hell and the Bible and all these things. And it's, um, you know, it's, I've got great stories about how it's helped people. So you can go look that up on Amazon or whatever, The Problem of God. Um, and uh, all the sermons are found on uh, on a po like a podcast app, uh, Village Church. Cool. So, uh, if you type in Village Church, Mark yeah. Clark, you'll find you know four years of sermons probably sitting on some podcast feed. Uh, yeah. And, and if they want to follow you on Instagram or your or your kid, you know, before yeah, they say they yeah, can, so they can right? say like we we followed her we before. Follow her. I, it's, she I think it's blew like up. Sienna Clark Music. Okay. Okay, Sienna Clark Music, and then I'm Mark underscore Clark maybe I don't know that's a great Mark question Mark Clark. underscore Clark or Mark Clark on okay. Instagram I think yeah great. and yeah I do a lot of posts and stories and, and all that stuff and I also have a Facebook page Mark Clark yeah. for my all author right. page we'll link all this stuff, stuff. people great. can find it in the in show the sh notes in the show notes I love it you're doing a great job hey. thanks for doing this thanks so much great. for your time yeah 
Thanks so much to Mark for that conversation. We had so much fun. If you can't tell in this conversation, we had back and forth. It was great to be in the room with him again and uh, just to to have a rich conversation meandering through all things about church and communications and digital and why all that matters. Next up, next week on the podcast, we have Jake Gosselin of Churchfront. Churchfront is all about helping people have tech-savvy worship experiences. And he also has a huge YouTube channel where he's teaching people how to reach people. He's teaching people how to make worship experiences more impactful. He's teaching people how to use technology for ministry effectively. It's just a practical, practical conversation next week with Jake Gosselin. So if you're in the tech space or you want to improve what you're doing from a production and tech perspective, you're going to love the inspiration and conversation with Jake Gosselin next week. Thanks so much to sponsors and partners, Compassion and Wycliffe College, who both make this possible. Go to compassion.ca slash COVID to give today. We're all affected by COVID-19 and uh, we can do something to help people who are in the most vulnerable places in the world, the places that are, you know, more affected even than we are here in Canada. We'd love for you to be part of giving whatever you can to make that possible. And of course, Wycliffe College, go to wycliffecollege.ca slash digital. You can check out what's going on with the school coming into the fall term. I just wrapped up helping in a course there myself, all on church and technology. We did it all online. It was a ton of fun and would love for you to join us for some courses this fall. All right, everyone. I want you finally to remember to join the Digital Church Facebook group. I would love to see you there. Would love to connect with you regularly in more meaningful ways where you can chat, learn, grow, share knowledge together and connect with leaders all over the world. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, rate it, and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.